This campaign has been about health and jobs and justice for the people of this state, for all the people of this state. And they will be my guiding principles as I serve this state in the U.S. Senate. But the other day, because this is America, the 82-year-old hands that used to pick somebody else's cotton went to the polls and picked her youngest son to be a United States Senator. Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're dangerously likely to talk about peaches. Like the emoji. So Caleb, I've been seeing a lot of Avatar Last Airbender on TikTok, on um, Twitter, just people talking about it. Terrell, what is that? Have you never seen it? Oh no, I've seen it. I'm just worried that some of our audience may not have. Fair. Touche. So, Avatar The Last Airbender is centered around this one main character. His name's Aang, and he is an airbender. Um, In this world, there are four different elements that you can bend. Fire, water, air, and earth. And there are four nations that are centered and train their um, people in those type of bending. The Avatar is able to bend all four And the plot really starts with um, the fact that there was an uprising by the Fire Nation um, and the last airbender before Aang disappeared. And now he's kind of trying to figure out how to become a better air or become a better airbender, but also become an avatar and save the other nations from this um, tyrannical rule of the Fire Nation, if you will. And it goes on a journey with him and some friends of just their lives and how they get through things and all that not giving too much away so my what if for you is what if you were able to bend one of the elements which element would you bend and why well Terrell first of all I feel like most people would be inclined to answer all of them no why why would you want to bend all of them because power Terrell all right joker (laughs) Um, why it's so serious. Why did I trigger you like this? Um, I should have done what if you can be in a Christopher Nolan movie? Which one would you choose? Don't answer. Um, probably Tenet. Mm. Um, or inter- actually Interstellar because I love space. Anyways, go on. I tried, but why would you want to? Why would you want to be the Avatar? There's so much pressure in knowing how to bend all four elements and and being this sense of balance for the world. Why would you want to do that? Look, Terrell, think of it like this. If every human is inclined to answer this way, then there's a lot of avatars, and I can just bend for fun. There can only be one avatar. Hmm. Okay, well, I actually don't want to be the avatar. Good. <laughs> but I feel like I, don't people, think I just feel like people avatar. are inclined to answer, I want to be the avatar. I choose Earth. I choose Earth because I wouldn't say I'm a fiery individual like the Fire Nation, but I don't think I'm too watered down either. You know, but I don't know if I'm as easygoing as a breeze in the wind. Mm. But Earth, you know, I just love the. I love nature. I love going on hikes. I love camping in it. I love being in it. You're so grounded. I love that. <laughs> I'm crying. Um, you know, I I, uh, I just really find like kind of an inner peace of mind out there. Mm-hmm. I, it's my de-stressor every weekend or as often as I try to go. All this stuff. So I would choose Earth because I feel like I would be more connected to the Earth in nature and things. Even mm-hmm. though Earthbenders, like, you know, they can bend the earth like bring it up and stuff i can protect myself build a shelter if i ever needed to like having that kind of power kind of interesting now it just feels like more of a way to connect to the earth itself and nature around it i appreciate that i wish i wish mine was as thoughtful um (laughs) 
So I would personally want to bend water. One, because I have... What are you doing? I have a deep connection. What are you doing? I have a deep connection <laughs> to water. Like one of the tattoos I hope to get is going to be a typograph of Lake Michigan because it's one of my favorite lakes and it reminds me of home, all of these other things. But um, Is ink mostly made out of water? To a degree, yes. Um, there you go. And That's metals water and all bending. these other things. But <laughs> I can't with you. Um, one of the reasons I would really want to be a waterbender is humans are made up mostly of water. Solid and 70%. I, I've always thought that, granted it's a kid show so it wouldn't get too dark, but I always felt like there there's an ability to control people if you're a waterbender. So I, I would do it just to test out that theory mostly if I'm being honest. Troll, that's a little scary. Who would you test it out on? I'm very curious. Probably you, because you're right here right now. But I'd be like, Earth, <sighs> through the room, and I can... it would just get you. And No. You wouldn't be grounded. But there's, like, literal water floating around us now and air particles. I could just cocoon myself in, like, a water sphere as you threw Earth at me and then Not break it apart. enough. There's more than enough. Also, it's raining outside, so I have more than enough water if I really need it. My earthiness is all around us. That's not true. Yeah. Now if we go to space, also oceans. Like, there's so many options. Well, I'm assuming if we're in space, then I could call upon the earth of any planet. Not necessarily. One, how far far do you have to travel for that to work? Um, Like, if if we're in between here and Mars, you're... Probably screwed. Wait a second. But I have water literally around me in space. Well, wait a second. And I could probably throw a comet at you. What if we were on Venus? Would they call it a Venus bender? (laughs) (laughs) The worst part is I was going to give you an argument of, oh, well, I didn't think about comets and asteroids. You could probably bend an asteroid and throw, like, moral of the story, you would lose if we had had to, like, bend around each other because you just don't understand how it works. And again, it just rained, so I'm at my peak right now where I can just... That's what you think, Terrell. Or I can... If you... Also, like, going back to the original premise of me wanting to test this theory, if you were trying to bend Earth and I just, like, moved your arm the wrong way, you wouldn't be able to hit me. I would literally control you. So, all of that to say, you lose. Thank you. Next next point. Moving on. We're done. Earth... Venus, Mars, CNN will now project that Democrat Raphael Warnock is elected to the U.S. Senate. The pastor defeating Republican incumbent Kelly Loeffler. This puts Democrats halfway toward their goal of retaking control of the U.S. Senate. It now all comes down to who wins the other runoff. And so, Georgia, I am honored by the faith that you have shown in me. And I promise you this tonight. I am going to the Senate to work for all of Georgia. NBC News uh, now projecting that John Ossoff, the Democrat, uh, will win the Senate runoff in the state of Georgia. And that uh, leads to the projection that Democrats will regain control of the U.S. Senate. It'll be a 50-50 split. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, Vice President-elect, as Vice President, will have the the, uh, tie-breaking vote. It is with humility that I thank the people of Georgia for electing me to serve you in the United States Senate. Thank you for the confidence and trust that you have placed in me. So one thing that disappoints me a little bit about the sound that we just played and we've we talked about this in previous episodes so we don't have to dive in is it could have been such a joyous moment we had already known that um, warnock had won and azov had just been projected but the the country was falling into mayhem so (laughs) his projection just became a little headline and i i do i feel so frustrated for him of he is this monumentous candidate and is the youngest senator um his jewish heritage just all of these pieces almost got muted because everything else was happening but regardless to say 
Georgia went blue. And Georgia he, went blue. I have to give you props because you Me? you had been saying that Georgia was probably the most likely candidate for a while, and I I poo pooed that because that's just how I am. Um, <laughs> and then they voted for Joe Biden, and now they've put two Democratic I senators. I don't know if you can give me a lot of credit for that. I just mean I'm really you proved me team. wrong. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I I agree. I think um, when it comes to Georgia, like I was sitting there and I was watching. I was up late at night, and when Warnock was called, I was like, "Oh my God, Warnock was called!" And then Ossoff was basically going to win after that, mm-hmm. even though he was behind at that time. And I just remember I was driving home uh, from my hometown, big long drive, and I had the radio on. Because I was curious to see what the first numbers and results that were coming in were like. And I got to be honest, like in the first 10 minutes of listening to that, I was like, okay, it's looking good. But I'm always nervous about these things. So I kind of take it with a grain of salt. But the story from there on never really changed in this Mm -hmm. election. It was Republicans didn't turn out as much as Democrats did. And Democrats won. Yeah. The the biggest analysis was... Democrats carried the early vote. Everyone knew that this election, as a runoff, was running right on par with a presidential election, which Georgia wasn't used to. But the question was, how many people turned up day of to vote? And I fell into a trap of listening to CNN's exit polls and looking (laughs) at other exit polls. And the way the exit polls made it sound, it was going to be a very, very tight race. Like, to the point that we might have had a couple of recounts. Well, you can't really trust exit polls when most of the early votes are already in. Yes. And that that is, again, one of my flaws. Um, where I was like, <laughs> oh, God. But I also thought, well, if this is where all the day of votes are, then it's going to be overwhelmingly Republican. So it's going to come to a nail-biter. Um, but as the day proceeded... I'm all over the place in uh, New York Times and 538 and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, the New York Times did an amazing job of predicting, analyzing, providing information. And if you look at the state of Georgia following the presidential election, it shifted blue. This isn't a, a once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon. I, I would also make an argument this isn't a... The candidates were just bad... Every county in Georgia, except for a couple of rural red counties, shifted overwhelmingly to the left. And um, that was just fascinating to look at. As I was watching the results come in, there was kind of a point where I think I kind of knew that it was going to be a good night for us. And it was the point where um, I was watching MSNBC, mm-hmm. not necessarily because of the politics of it all, but mostly because of Steve Kornacki. Steve Kornacki is pretty cool. But... Steve Kornacki was talking about how this rural county in northern Georgia, I can't I don't remember the name, had come in and it wasn't too it wasn't like a crazy popular or it, it there wasn't a ton of votes coming out of this place, right? But it, the turnout amongst Republicans because it is a Republican county was down 22 or 23%. Mm-hmm. And I and it, the results were fully in and when I when I heard that and when I heard that turnout was kind of just down amongst Republican in those rural counties, I kind of realized then that tonight was going to be a good night for us. Of course, I'm cautious in the moment. I'm yeah. like, okay, like I'm, it's looking good. It's looking good. But I kind of realized after reflection of that night that I wasn't as worried about it as I was for like the presidential election. Mm-hmm. It kind of just felt when I heard those first numbers coming in, it felt good. And when I heard that the turnout was down in Republican uh, counties, even though they were smaller ones um, in terms of population, I kind of knew. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, I think something else that really set the tone, this is as we got into the night, numbers started coming in and um, you got to that teeter-totter phase, as people like to call it. Um, the county that Atlanta's in, I can't recall the name off the top of my head right now. I want to say it's Floyd, but that sounds wrong. Um they actually reported that they saw an increase in in-person voting from the election day. And that was my trigger of, okay, we have enough red counties that we know are going to vote there that are 
close to 100% or just or have already hit it. But now you have the two counties that you really care about if you're a Democrat saying not only are we seeing high totals from early voting, we also saw an increase in in in-person voting and it's going to take us longer to count than we initially planned. And that was a a good enough point of, um, yeah, whatever happens in all these rural counties is going to happen. But I think they have enough votes there that they're just going to run it up. And sure enough, they ran it up. Yeah, and the other thing that I found quite fascinating about this, um, as the numbers were coming in, was that they were talking about, okay, like you want to hit Biden's numbers because Biden won. Mm -hmm. So you want to hit his numbers in these counties. And both Warnock and Ossoff, although Warnock had a little bit more uh, votes than Ossoff did, which we can talk about later, Mm -hmm. um, were both hitting those numbers and beyond. They were getting more than Joe Biden was in some of these counties. And, you know, I just think that we have to give appreciation and thanks to people like Stacey Abrams and Latasha Brown and all the other organizers that were on the ground in Georgia and knocked on over a million doors Mm -hmm. in the month and a half it was since the presidential election. So it brings up two questions that I have also. I'll start with the easy one. Um, Is this proof that, and I, I mean, more than likely, we won't have to see the strategy again. But is this proof that the COVID strategy, while it might have worked, it didn't produce as well as it could have? Also, and a follow-up to that, did the success that Warnock and Ozoff see in Georgia really work as a testament to them? Or is this a Donald Trump curse for Loeffler and Purdue? Well, I'll... I'll go after your first question. Um, is the ground game better than the COVID strategy of Biden, which was mostly digital and mm-hmm. not a ground game because as Democrats, we wanted to be safe. Pandemics. Pandemics. <laughs> That's hard to say, yeah. I think, because I think the COVID strategy worked much better than I thought a lot of people we're thinking it would. I think the, yeah, you. Myself included. <laughs> but also I think I think a lot of the media was like, making this huge deal out of, oh, this COVID strategy, since there's no ground game, like it's not going to work. It looks like it's not going to work. It's not going to work. That's what I felt like I was hearing all the time. That might've just been me, not so much the media because it is what it is. I ultimately think that was a bad take because I think that this year was just different. And even swing voters who weren't so sure about COVID, I think knew that this year was just kind of crazy. And I think Georgia, I think it also just probably depends on the state too. Yeah, I would agree. Um, And I think this kind of goes towards your second question too. Because I think what's special about Georgia is the demographics are changing. But Georgia has a long, long history of segregation and racist policies of voter suppression. Mm -hmm. The Georgia runoff system in itself was, was designed so that black voters would not have a voice. Yes. But you saw black voters have a voice, mm-hmm. electing not only the first, um, actually it would be the youngest, youngest senator right now, 33-year-old yep. John Ossoff. Um, he's the first Jewish senator, senator from Georgia, but also the first black Democratic senator from the South entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, first black senator from Georgia. Yeah, Raphael Warnock. Um I think what's special about Georgia is Georgia had these, not only did they have these changing demographics, but they also had demographics that were already there and they were just suppressed for so long. But when you see a Democrat like Joe Biden somehow win Georgia, I think that's really inspiring. Yeah. And they won Georgia without that much of a ground game. He did. Yeah. Joe Biden did. And I think not only that, but having people on the ground telling people why it is is so important to vote and how you do it in Georgia specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I have to commend the work of Stacey Abrams. She's been there for a decade doing this work. Yeah. She's been there forever making sure people know. Yeah, And she was the one um, back in March saying, Georgia's going to flip. Mm-hmm. I remember her talking to the Pod Save America folks, John Favreau, all of them. Um, and they had like a whole adopt a state program. You could adopt one of the swing states, donate volunteer 
for Democratic candidates, things like that. And when they were deciding it, Stacey Abrams made the case for Georgia. Georgia's a swing state. We are going to win Georgia this year. And they still didn't do it. Yeah. And now they look back and kind of laugh because it's like, well, it was so obvious. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I think COVID strategy works in states that maybe are more blue than others. Mm-hmm. But I think there's states where there's just so much opportunity oozing out of it. And I think Georgia's one of those states. And the ground game here really helped. Yeah. But it's hard to say, especially this year, if if the COVID strategy was a bad strategy, even if the ground game was a better strategy. Yeah. And I mean, enough can't be said to Stacey Abrams as a grassroots community organizer who who did the work and ran for governor only to have her opponent steal the election from her, whether we want to argue that or not is for another time and day, but had a secretary of state who was also running for governor purge the rolls <laughs> and make it harder for specific people to vote to give him a very narrow win um, enough that there wasn't a recount, but a very narrow win, and had to do the hard work of conceding shortly after that, knowing that there were some nefarious things that happened, um, only to tie up her boots, get back to the ground game, and just like you mentioned, not just focus on getting people registered, but educating them on why Georgia's election, uh, election system is so hard for individuals and how you can still beat the system. Like I mentioned before the election, um, I was attending the Atlantic festival and she talked about the fact that in Georgia, if your ballot has a tear on it, it can be considered spoiled. And they had to tell you that, but that whole process of there's a tear, you've gone through the work of filling out this ballot and doing your, your due diligence. Now you, a single mom working two jobs has to find the time to drive to the Secretary of State to fix your ballot, do a provisional ballot, or you just let it end. And the fact that Stacey Abrams started an organization to make the fight fair it is just... It, words are hard to describe how influential that is and how impactful that is and how it will go to, hopefully the future of the Democratic Party, to show them that you can have a 50-state strategy if you really commit and say we care about the state. Exactly. Exactly. Trell, I want to read you a quote from Warnock um, and then ask you a follow-up question to it. So Warnock said, As we were basking in the glory of all that this Senate victory represented, it seemed like we could only have a few hours to celebrate. The ugly side of our story, our great and grand American story, began to emerge as we saw the crude and the angry and the disrespectful and the violent break their way into the people's house. Some carrying Confederate flags, signs and symbols of an old world order passing away. The old world order is passing away. Of course, he's referring to winning that night and then the next day watching as the Capitol building in our country was stormed and taken over for the first time since 1812. And my question is, what does this victory mean for democracy and for our country, for Warnock and Ossoff? I think your piece on what does it mean for democracy is key. And it, again, leans on what we were just speaking to um, with Stacey Abrams and just across the country. I, it's hard to ignore the fact that 2016 occurred and while there was shock, the leading narrative was the fact that the Democrats lost because the African-American base did not show up. You get to the midterms and that narrative changes. Um, the House flips, Nancy Pelosi has become Speaker and the conversation is no longer about African-American folk, even though they did show up in that election. The conversation switched, switches to the suburbs and an argument that being able to engage suburban women is what changed it. What, that's, their, that's the democratic strategy. That's how they move forward. The narrative, yes. 
you go another two years into our current cycle and I want to say that the Democratic Party is having a moment where they see that you can fight for both and it's okay. But you get skeptical when Joe Biden uh, mentions that African-Americans are the ones who get them there and and he's going to show up for them, makes the conscious effort to put um, uh, uh, African-American female as his VP and, and all of these extra pieces. However, his cabinet didn't get as diverse as a lot of people wanted. So much so that um, Clyburn came on to a, a news segment and purposefully said that it wasn't diverse enough for his liking to kind of force the transition team to reconsider. So now you're in Georgia and you're again talking about the black vote and how important and how impactful it is. But very similar to that quote, the literal next day, you you see the worst of it to almost become that brand standard of, ah, you got a little too big for your britches, let's go back. What a whirlwind of emotions. <laughs> um, so much hope one morning, one night. And by the evening of so the next, it's gone. Um, but I, I think to another quote that I, I know you mentioned from Reverend Warnock, but also a quote that came out of Wayne County that's really centered on how far the African-American populace has come in the last umpteenth years, from picking cotton to picking presidents, um, from from picking cotton to, to picking your son to be uh, a senator. Um, so I think just to that piece, it, it speaks a lot to there's hope and there's a chance that this thing that we were educated on in our grade school years of the necessary evil was never really necessary and always was evil. Um, and maybe the country can start figuring out how to fix it. So when we saw Warnock win that night, kind of late, every predictor was saying Ossoff's going to win too. Uh, by the next day, in the middle of the Capitol rioting, uh, instead of the news organizations normally going, and this person is projected to win this state. All, um, the, all the notifications coming in, all the reaction, yeah. We saw it as a mirror uh, banner, mm-hmm. um, a breaking news banner, while they were talking about the Capitol riots, and all cameras were aimed at that. I don't even think um, I got a notification now that I mention it. Yeah. No, I think there was notifications, I believe, but it just seems so, it almost seems small in the middle mm-hmm. of what the moment was happening because I think part of it was because it was expected that he was already going to win. Yeah. But I just want to read you a little quote from Ossoff, um, kind of in the middle of that. He said, let's emulate the spirit of courage and heroism of those who have given so much to the health response to this crisis as we unite as a people to overcome this challenge of COVID-19 and to build a republic that lives up to our highest ideals of equality in God's eyes and equal justice under the law. And I don't know if I have a question to this. I just... What do you think it's like getting officially... Officially winning your race to Senate. You're flipping the Senate, but that... When you've won, your chambers are literally stormed hmm. by, ins- they're being held yeah. by insurrectionists, by a coup attempt. And especially because, I think to put in context there, there's already an anger. You know, going. I, I think we all knew going to this day, it was going to be a theatrical show. Didn't know to what degree it was going to be, obviously, but... We knew that a group of senators were going to help a large group of House members object to pieces of the election, Georgia being one of them. And interestingly enough, the two senators who had just lost their elections in Georgia were going to contest the Georgia certified votes. (laughs) So I I do think, to some sense, the anger, the, the exhaustion, the anxiety that comes with what did happen was already there with the frustration and, and disbelief that something else was going to happen regardless. But to, to Azov, 
Um, a question that I, I would follow up for you is, are we seeing the, the shape of the future of the Democratic Party? Is, is Azov being the youngest senator, being this, this candidate who I think finally showed the Democratic Party how to use social media appropriately. Um, <laughs> I, I do follow him on Twitter, and some of his tweets were actually just kind of about pop culture. and They were good. They were good. I appreciated it. I appreciated his social media. I'm not someone who's going on every day and looking at his tweets, but they would pop up in my feed every once in a while, yeah. and not all of it was just canned political stuff. And his TikToks were hilarious and actually had good graphics because I'm the TikTok human for whatever reason. But (laughs) are we seeing the future of the Democratic Party? And I want to template this with the the attempt for Representative Kennedy in Massachusetts to run and, and primary a senator. Are we seeing the change of the Democratic Party? Are we seeing the future and what it can be? Or are we still stuck in this? The squad is here, but the party's there. Azov, being a freshman senator, coming in is here, but the party is still this this club that he hasn't figured out, or the younger people haven't figured out. Oh, okay, so you're referencing uh, Kennedy going up against... Um... Ed Markey. Yes. Ed Markey is like this really old guy. Old guy. As I believe Torrance, a previous guest, said, he was literally in the Senate during a time of segregationist policies that yes. he could have voted on. And everyone, it seems like the Democratic activism and stuff points towards younger, younger candidates, uh, liberal candidates, obviously, but we need young people in the Senate, in the House. We need mm-hmm. young people. And, I mean, Kennedy... Uh, is he was probably a little bit more moderate than they wanted, but he was still a young person and brought excitement. But out of nowhere, Ed Markey was suddenly this, I'm the liberal you want. I, I support the Green New Deal. I was the one who interest, introduced it in the Senate, and you should vote for me. And he, I will be honest, he did have a pretty kick-ass uh, uh, ad You strategy. just liked the song. I liked, his, I liked his ad about him. It was pretty badass. It was, it was good. It was good. Um, so I could see why that's appealing. But it's hard to answer kind of your question about where exactly the Democratic Party is because I think every place is different. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts is where this took place. And you see a young Democratic candidate uh, primarying a, an older, a really older, someone who's been there forever, um, Senate uh, senator from the state, but the state's blue. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get, a whoever won the primary, you're gonna get that person as the senator. That's how that's how it works there. It's a blue state. You're gonna get a someone that's a Democrat for the Senate. Um, what's fascinating about that is you go, well, wait a second, I thought we wanted young people, but then all, all the young people threw themselves by Ed Markey, who's this super old guy who's been there forever. And it's like, wait, this is counterintuitive to what we've been hearing for so long mm-hmm. from some of these Democratic activists and maybe even the party in some ways. And not that I think that Ed Markey is a bad guy. I don't know if I – I don't think he is. I don't think Kennedy is either, but Kennedy would have been expected to win that race. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at Georgia and John Ossoff and, and Warnock, Raphael Warnock, I think – like I just again, I think that state is so completely different because it's a, especially this race, um, just the general twenty twenty race, not mm-hmm. necessarily the runoff. It was so detrimental that they won for Democratic Senate control, which we haven't had for in years. Um, it's not a safe state where one of them was primarying an old senator. Yeah, um, it was more about. These are good candidates, and we got to get these people in. We got to vote them in. And it went to the runoff, and we did it. But it was never about, it wasn't really as much about who was the Democratic Party and a young person and an old person primarying each other. It was always about who is the Democratic Party in terms of what can we do? Mm-hmm. What can we do, really? That's, that's kind of a 
broad question, but what can we do when it comes to a state that we haven't won in forever, if any? 1994. 1994, there you go. When it comes to a state that we haven't won in 20 years or so, and what can we do when it comes to candidates who have never won there before? Their identities have never won there before, and we did it. So a challenge or a follow-up, I agree. States and, and people who vote are different. However, to some extent, the party played a role in that recruitment piece. Like Chuck Schumer more than likely called up some of them and, and weighed into that. So I believe the story was Chuck Schumer wasn't so sure about Warnock. But when he called Stacey Abrams to talk about it, Stacey Abrams, he wanted Stacey Abrams to run. Yes, he did. And Stacey Abrams said, I got a candidate who is better. Mm-hmm. And it was Warnock. And he trusted her, which I appreciate Schumer for. I know you're not a huge fan, but I appreciate him for, for trusting Stacey because Stacey Abrams really did yeah. call the shots of what was going to happen in Georgia and look where we are. Mm-hmm. Anyways, go on. Uh, yeah, no, that that is a great segue too of how do we have that of... I mean, uh, Reverend Warnock isn't isn't as young as Azov, but I would argue he brings in a breath of fresh air, and he feels more vibrant and more close to oh my God. Uh, this our generation and, and people who are having this type of conversation. So when you think about the recruitment strategy and when you think about those pieces, is it going to be as easy for a marquee to just have ads that make him feel young, or... Can Schumer, can the party start having a better conversation about the um, Azovs, the Kennedys, I'll even say the AOCs, because I I think her future is in the Senate at some point in time. It's bright. Um, Versus, and not to throw a senator under the bus, but versus the Gillibrands, who I think tried to be that voice, but became a one-issue candidate and couldn't do it. So how, how does... The election in Georgia set the stage for the future of the Democratic Party. This might be an unsatisfactory answer, but I think how it sets the stage is, I I still think it's less about necessarily generational Democratic talent. I think it's more about the possibilities of what we can do. Um, Because again, like, Massachusetts can say, oh, we actually like our senator we've been voting for forever. Um, And he seems pretty up with the times. And that might play into a larger conversation about term limits and how long should senators actually be in the Senate for? Because Markey's been there for a million years, just like Joe Biden's been there for almost 50 years, right? He's only 74. Right? But, I mean, what does that mean? Like, like, I think that plays into a larger conversation maybe for a different day. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think Georgia really is the place where nobody thought we were ever going to flip that state. Or at least nobody thought we were going to do it this year. And now we have two candidates who make history. They're making history for their identities of how how they ran and how how they won. And I think Georgia reflects kind of like what you said earlier, that we really can have a 50 state strategy if we're willing to put in the time and effort. And yep. we had one person who was, and it was Stacey Abrams. Yeah. And that made it possible. It almost, at that point, I mean, and maybe Georgians see this differently, but at that point, it almost didn't, it almost didn't matter who the candidate was. It was the idea that Georgia, if we can do it in Georgia, we can do it in other places too. Mm-hmm. And the candidates were good candidates, don't get me wrong. You need a good candidate. But I think I think all the players on the Democratic side played it perfectly and said, we're not going to let voter suppression take us down. We are going to win this thing. And we are going to put people in the Senate from the state that actually reflect our values and who we are. And I think it was more about that than it was about a generational challenge that the Democratic Party faces now. Yeah. I kind of want to pivot really quick um, just to why you think Warnock won a little bit more than Ossoff did. There was like a 30,000-ish vote gap between yeah. the two of them. 
what was the reason that Warnock was able to uh, do a little better than Ossoff, even though they both won pretty soundly? Plainly, Kelly Loeffler. Tell me more about Kelly Loeffler. <laughs> Her strategy against him was so inherently flawed. And oh my God, it was so bad. The day she lost was the day she decided to attack him as, as a religious leader and his congregation and essentially say that by being Baptist, you are somehow socialist and, and you are the worst that you're the worst part of the country. And I really like, I don't know if she was just misadvised or I, I mean, their videos have been shown where they made Warnock darker. They made Ossoff's nose longer. They played a very dirty game. But it's disgusting. But that was, that's, I will argue, I think he was a great candidate. I think he he had connections to the community that uh, Ossoff just hadn't built up yet, even though he was a prominent name and had a lot of connections. I think Warnock had more connections with the actual voters who were going to show up, not just the big names. Um, But the fact that Loeffler had the nerve after sitting in his church and listening to a sermon and and trying to use that as an opportunity to prop herself up, turned around and, and essentially called him an extremist and tried to make that a narrative. So much so that Fox News carried it out for multiple weeks and tried to make it seem like it was an issue. She saw the 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 bully pulpit. pulpit. She she saw the power of of the faith of people to renounce her <laughs> in the nicest way possible, and she saw congregations show up. And she also forgets that specifically in Georgia, just because you're Baptist doesn't mean you're black. And <laughs> I think there was. I think there were a lot of. Are you sure? Of suburban <laughs> white folk who attend Baptist churches and were genuinely turned off by that message. And they voted a different way. What was that? It was like the debate they had for the runoffs. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Loeffer sat up there like a freaking robot and was just saying, so what bad. was she saying? Every sentence Jesus she said mentioned, it was... It was Radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Yep. Which she really struggled with because, like, saying more than three words is never easy for her, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there. Well, it's kind of a tongue twister. She had to say it every time and she pronounced it so much because she was trying to say it because it's radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Say that 10 times fast. I, you know, like, it's just so blatantly obvious that you don't have a good message. But what's interesting about that and the reason the exit polls threw me off so much is individuals who voted day of overwhelmingly saw him as being radical. So like the message clicked to some extent, at least for the people, the small test group that CNN and um, the New York Times used. But like saying it so much clicked, I think what's interesting is it clearly didn't matter. Well... I, 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 I'll, I'm going to challenge you a tiny bit on that. I think for the most part, you're right. I just don't know if it was 100% about Kelly Lawford, what she was saying specifically about Warnock. Fair. Because there was also a lot of people that were responding to reporters' questions and stuff that were like, to me, this is just about who controls the Senate. And there was people who were kind of looking more to vote for the Democrats that were saying... Well, I want to check on the Democrats. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much the message got through, or if it was a hundred percent that, or if it was a little bit of a mix of both. I don't know. I I I would have expected Georgia to be close no matter what, because if that if Trump can if Biden only wins by twelve thousand votes, then that many people on the other side were listening to Trump's rhetoric, which yeah. wasn't really much better to be honest. Um, Still is Purdue and Loeffler. And Purdue and Loeffler were both under investigation. I think Loeffler got off, but Purdue still is, yeah. About insider, insider trading. trading. With, the, with COVID. <laughs> I, to be fair, though, New Jersey voted in... Oh, God, why can't I think of his name right now? New Jersey voted in a senator who 
was charged with and found guilty for insider trading served time and came back. So like Democrat, Republican both make poor decisions with insider trading because it's a white collar crime and most of us will never see that type of influence ever. What's going to be interesting, what's going to be interesting, and again, I don't, maybe I did this earlier and I certainly didn't mean to, I don't want to take away the inspiration and almost power that that Warnock and Ossoff kind of gave to voters in Georgia mm-hmm. because we're giving Stacey Abrams a lot of credit and she definitely she deserves, deserves it. it. Absolutely. Um, but they were also good candidates. A lot of, I felt like a lot of the narrative was who's going to control the Senate, who's going to control the Senate more than about the individual candidates themselves. Yeah. And both the candidates were quite amazing. What I'm curious about, um, what I'm, I'm just curious about what happens next. That was going to be my final thought, actually. Um, forgiving student loans, raising the minimum wage, the Voting Rights Act, a stimulus package, an infrastructure bill, uh, becoming more energy efficient as a country, rejoining the Paris Agreement. So many things. The Senate's 50-50. It, unless... The Democrats can can move some of their Republican colleagues. Kamala Harris is going to be the tie-breaking vote. I won't say what happens next because I do feel like that's very ominous. But what's one issue or policy that you think would be inherently flawed for the Democrats not to take up as they now control all three branches or all three um, parts Wow, so many to choose from. But I think the most important thing to do, like almost right away, is like real COVID relief. Hmm. If I'm understanding your question yeah. correctly, it would be bad for Democrats not to. I think I think part of maybe some factors that maybe had a small impact on the race in Georgia were the fact that they were about to pass a. COVID relief bill, $600 checks to people. I believe it was $600. And then Donald Trump goes, oh, I might not sign it. $2,000 checks. And obviously Republicans aren't going to say yes to that. And that kind of messed up Loeffler and Purdue. I was going to say, except Loeffler and Purdue both jumped on board and said, we support $2,000. And I do think this was a miscalculation on Mitch McConnell because he probably could have won the Senate had he done it. But sorry, I'm jumping in. So I... I think that like Warnock and Ossoff also kind of jumped on that. Like that's something that they can do. That's something the Senate can do right away. And so I think, I think that might be one of the most important pieces that they should do. Honestly, in the first couple weeks, if they can, yeah, not a hundred days because we need real COVID relief now. Um, my final thought was actually more political because obviously with a. Are you about to steal what I was gonna say? Fifty-fifty Senate and all, like that's great. Like we're gonna we're gonna get some stuff done. Not everything we want, Not but everything. we're gonna get some stuff done, Maybe. and that's that's hopeful. But my final thought was more political, and it's more about all the impeachment stuff and hmm. like McConnell saying we might remove, which by the time that this is out, we may know. We may know. We may know, but. <laughs> I think something that McConnell has been reportedly upset about is I think he believes that Trump lost them Georgia mm-hmm. in the Senate. And that's very that's that's going to to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. To me. One one piece I would also add cuz I, I after asking that question, I also thought of and I think my final thought to why why this matters is um the Senate will be 50-50. The Senate has Correct me if I'm wrong. Also, anyone listening, Senate has never been 50-50, ever. This is the first time in history that really? I, I do believe the Senate has been a perfect split. Now, before we were at a perfect 100 Senate, I think there were some other situations where it was very close. Um, but this is the first time that we've actually had this happen. Um, or a second. I think there might have been a time with George Bush. Anyway. At least in our time. Yeah. Um, I think my my final thought here is... Lisa Murkowski has just become the most powerful senator in the U.S. Senate. And I know a lot of people will say um, Manchin from West Virginia is because he's a Democrat. He's, no. 
he's conservative, all of these pieces. I also don't agree. I, I don't agree because Chuck Schumer has made it clear that he will put forth policy. He doesn't care about his caucus always being on board. Very different than what we've seen under Mitch McConnell, who won't bring up anything unless he knows his entire caucus is going to vote for it. So I, I do think we're in a space where Lisa Murkowski becomes this huge voice that is needed. Don't get me wrong. But she becomes so much more powerful than I think anyone actually is willing to own yet. And she becomes the this um, senator who actually brings us 50-50. I think we're going to see... Um, uh, mansion protect himself all the time and oh, probably do what he can but i think you see lisa murkowski even with the two thousand dollar checks maybe not agree with the fact that we're deficit spending but recognize that the people of alaska need it and vote for it and then force it to kamala harris alaska has recently uh passed a prop that was a kind of a voters like overhaul basically it it i'm not gonna describe everything that happened but we can thank our mutual friend jackson blackwell shout out to jackson blackwell for also leading that effort in alaska but um it basically creates ranked choice voting and the it's an open primary system lisa murkowski has no incentive to continue to be a republican in alaska Mm -hmm. she doesn't need to play it that way anymore and she didn't get help from the gop either they actually, when she first ran, she got, she was a writing candidate and she beat the GOP candidate. Mm-hmm. And she's part of the GOP, but she's arguably like the least connected to it um, in, in that sense anyways. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of some context of why Lisa Murkowski may be one of the most powerful senators, if not the most powerful in the coming couple of years at least. I wanted to end with a quote from Warnock. Uh, Warnock is just... So good at talking. Wow. (laughs) But I think it really just encapsulates everything that's happened um, since uh, he won in Georgia, him and Ossoff won in the Capitol riots. Power concedes nothing without a demand. So there is victory in this moment. There is violence in this moment. There is fantastic opportunity and fierce opposition. And it reminds us that there is still a whole lot of work to do. Let's get to work, am I right? Let's get to work. Thank you all for listening. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And we're Dangerously Likely to see you next week. Bye.